at a day job or working for someone else, you know, you make a mistake uh, and you can get in trouble for your mistakes. But when you have your own business, if you make a mistake, I mean, you could lose a lot. That's the voice of Mike Coffee, owner of Coffee Custom Builds. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project, to getting paid, to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber and if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Mike Coffey, owner of the Northern California-based furniture company, Coffee Custom Builds. Now, Mike is somewhat of an outlier in the furniture business. He got into it because, get this, he likes the business side of the industry. So many times we hear about people who love to make the furniture and then have to learn the business side once they get going. But Mike is the opposite. Yes, he loves the woodworking side, as you will hear, but he is someone who had their business plan in place and then started to learn the furniture trade as a secondary step. Although Mike's business could be considered young by some, I felt it was important to hear from someone who views the industry from a different lens than the masses. Follow along as I talk with Mike about his views on customer service, project organization, when to buy new tools, and much more. But before we get into the behind the scenes of Mike's company, let's set the stage for how he got into the furniture business in the first place. I never really had a lot of hobbies. I, I, had, I was into motorcycles. I had Harleys and I was into motorcycles uh, for most of my adult life. But my son was born almost five years ago. And after he was born, there was just no time for that. You can't, it's not real fair to just take off, take off and leave my wife and my son and go on a ride for a day or two. It's just not, it's not cool. So I, uh, I kind of set that hobby aside for a year. And after a year, I was like, gosh, you know what? There's not going to be any time for this for the next few years. I got to focus on the family. I got to be here. So I sold my bikes and I was, trying to find something to do with my time. I couldn't figure anything out. I actually took a blacksmithing class. Um, I wanted to maybe get in a metal, but I really hate heat. <laughs> and you need to be around a lot of heat to do blacksmithing. So I, that didn't really work for me. So I took a couple, actually took some some classes down at the Woodcraft near here. And I was like, oh, I really like this. And I started doing stuff around the house and it was like kind of DIY remodely stuff. And I didn't really love that. But then I built a few things for our house and I was like, okay, I really like this. And it just sort of escalated from there and, and it just snowballed re really quickly. And I was, you know, I had, I have a, had good careers my whole life. And, uh, you know, I was able to afford some pretty, pretty nice tools in the beginning. And that kind of got me rolling. And then once I was able to get myself established with a decent tool set, I made myself a shop. And then I started making stuff for, you know, how that kind of goes. I mean, you start making stuff for other people and something I learned from woodworking there's a couple things i learned about myself that i didn't know one that i one I, I love woodworking but i actually really like the business side of it um my growing up as a kid my parents 
were small business owners, both of them. And it never really struck me as something I wanted to do. And now as an adult, I actually really enjoy that side of the woodworking. I know there's a lot of guys out there and gals running uh, furniture or woodworking businesses. And they're just like, oh, the business side, I don't like it. I really like that education you get from it. It's like trial by fire in every single aspect, unless you've gone to like formal training. But even then, you I, I would assume if you come out of some formal training for business uh, education, you're going to still have a lot of things that they don't prepare you for. And that's kind of been it's it's scary a little bit, but it's also really exhilarating. And it's, it's really fun solving those problems. I really like problem solving. And that's something that woodworking gives to me. I get to solve problems and that's what the business side gives me. I get to solve problems and I get to um, become ultra efficient. Like it's so important to be efficient and productive with your time, not just on the business side, but in the woodworking side that it's become a huge focus for me and and i and i'm pretty good at, at being efficient with my time and how i utilize what i have around me so that's kind of where it, was, it came from it came from a place of i needed an activity i hate sitting around i don't like doing nothing and i learned to do this thing that i actually really love like in a way that i've never loved another activity <laughs> and it i don't know if that sounds cheesy but it's really true it's the facts <laughs> i love woodworking so it much it doesn't sound cheesy at all. And people with the passion for it know exactly what you're talking about. And that's the reason people get into it in the first place. They want to build something. They want to create something. They want there to be mm -hmm. raw materials at the beginning of the day and the end of the day for it to be a recognizable piece of furniture that they yep. enjoy and, and other people will enjoy. And I love how you said- 100%. I, yeah, I, lo I love how you said that your, your woodworking passion escalated quickly. And I, I, gotta, I can just imagine you starting and, and your first, your first shop on the, on the miter saw. And you're like, that felt, that felt really good. And then you do another <laughs> one 100%, and, you do, right. <laughs> and you do another one and, and you, you just went through, you know, 40 board feet of pine in, in 20 minutes. And you're like, well, I should, probably, how'd you know it was pine? <laughs> I, I, I should probably build something. <laughs> Dude, honestly, I'm looking at, uh, we, these are hideous. They're, the very first thing I ever made for our home is these, uh, floating shelves and they were pine <laughs> nailed it. They were pine and I'm looking at them right now and they're so hideous, but I'll never get rid of them. They're the very first thing I made on my very first miter saw, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> it just, that's where it started. They're fine. I mean, they're fine. <laughs> they're fine shelves, but uh, it's a, you're 100% right. I started cutting it and I made something and I put it up in my house and I was like, oh man, I, I know this isn't incredible, but I am, I am, I made this and I'm really happy with this. And that's what it's all about, you know, Making, yeah. finding something that you enjoy. <laughs> yeah. You said something that also jumped out at me and that's that you really like the business side of woodworking. And, and that mm -hmm. is, that, that jumped out at me because it's it's strange to hear. And it's strange to hear because a lot of people get into this business because they love the artistic side of the business. And they have that passion and they wanna build stuff and create stuff. And there's not a lot of people who have, I, I'm just gonna say it, not a lot of people who have solid business sense that would go into this business without the other side, without the passion, because furniture making in truth 
is a very hard business. It is a physical business. It is. It is a, the margins are low. It is a trade profession and it is also an artistic profession. And you have to balance both of those things all while building something, marketing it and delivering it to people who then use it for hopefully years and years and years. And, and, and I'm not yep. saying that to, to dissuade anyone. And I've talked about this on the show before that it's hard. And, you know, I'm a furniture, I'm a furniture business and I yeah. I'm doing it and I understand that it's hard, but what drove you to the business side of, of furniture making? So there's a few things. I mean, I worked before this, I was at my family's construction company. Um, my, my dad and my stepmom are both uh, very savvy business people, very savvy. So I've, I did learn a lot from them, um, especially as a small to medium sized business. I mean, the, the, the family business is a pretty good sized company, but um, you know, started small. I've always had that around me, but I, in truth, really like the, I really like pressure. I work, I work best under pressure. If things aren't like, if there isn't a lot of stuff on my plate, I'm just kind of feel like something's not right almost. Um, I, I just really like working under pressure. So for the business side, I've in my in my career and my life, I've always been on the in customer service. So it's so weird and it's almost it's not lame to say, but I feel like everything I've ever done in my life has sculpted me to do this. <laughs> and it sounds like this prophecy kind of thing. I don't think it's that. I think that's the case for a lot of people. Like you, 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 everyone tries to pull in from their experiences to be better at the thing they're doing. Right. But I really feel like the things I've done in my life, uh, have sculpted me to do this. Uh, and I'm very fortunate that I found it. Uh, I never had a career. I never, as a kid, I was never like, Oh, I want to be firefighter. I want to be an astronaut. I never had any of that stuff. I just kind of, I went to school and then I, I went to, uh, I took on a job and uh, that became a career and it was a good job. I got paid well and, and it wasn't, I didn't hate my job at, by on any level, but I didn't love my job. I'd never had that. And I didn't start this until I was 33 or 34. I didn't start woodworking until I was 33 or 34 and I'm 37 now. And the last year and a half has been absolutely insane. And what I'm finding is, I said it earlier, I really like efficiency and I like building systems. Um, and that's completely obviously separate from the woodworking. I mean, it helps with the woodworking, but uh, it's, it's two different things. Like you said, people get into this because they like making uh, furniture or working with wood or the artistic side. Like Chris, I would consider Chris, Chris Miano from one of your last episodes. Chris, he's from uh, Cam Designs, a pretty, the pretty artsy side of it. Um, and he's, it's amazing. I really like Chris a lot. Uh, and then, but there's no, there's no wrong approach to this. It's whatever works for you. Um, and for me, I like to maximize my efficiency in my time. And I like to figure out ways to make things work better. And I, I think that's really important in business. Um, I think not, not that it's really important. I think business requires that if you're running a business, it requires your ability to not just wear a bunch of hats, but do all of them pretty, pretty dang well, you need to do well at them. And I like that challenge. Um, but I think the biggest thing about running the business side of it that I like is that it's mine, right? I've only ever worked for other people. 
Uh, and that the thing I hated the most about that is the, it seemed like the higher up I got in any organization, the more I was dealing with other people's problems and the less I was dealing with what I would consider to be something that's mine. And that was what drove me away from that and drove me to starting my own business. And it was scary um, doing that because I have a family and I've got a mortgage, you know, I've, it, it, when you come from the safety, I guess, of, uh, of working for someone else, which by the way, it's not as safe as you'd think. Um, but when you, that mindset of being in the safe place of working for someone else to going to working for myself, it was real scary, but I had to take, I had to bet on myself and I had to make it work. So I'm driven by a lot of things with the business side and that's providing for my family, uh, becoming a better business owner and making something that's mine. So I can only do one of those things working for someone else and that's providing for my family, which is important, but I can't make something that's mine working for someone else. And I just, I just can't get the sort of education I would working for someone else either. So I know that's a super long answer, but there's just so many aspects to it as to why I really like that side of it. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I just really like, I really like learning and the problem solving side of it and that it's just, it's my problem and you have to own it too. You can't just, it's not, you know, at, at a day job or working for someone else, you know, you make a mistake, uh, and you can get in trouble for your mistakes. Um, but when you have your own business, if you make a mistake, I mean, you could lose a lot, not just like you get a reprimand, you could lose a lot. So there's a lot on the line. And, um, I know it's weird, but I kind of like that. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. And if that's what gets you up in the morning and that's what gets you going and, and gets the, the lights turned on the shop, then take, take all that pressure and, and keep it bottled up inside. Just, I don't want to be around when it, when it explodes. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, it sometimes uh, comes to a head for sure. <laughs> Now you're 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 a small shop, and and I say that in in yep. pure terms of of team size. Oh yeah, so, you hurt my feelings. Yeah, so so no disrespect on that. Um, but you turn no, out no, no, a, no. a large yeah, you turn out a large amount of product, and and it's impressive. And along with custom furniture builds that you do, you also offer production run capabilities, and you do a lot of large orders of the same thing. And you've done that by mm -hmm. investing in woodworking technology. And I use woodworking mm -hmm. technology as a, as a broad term, and it's totally unscientific, but it, it's to cover anything that's it's accurate, that that's computer operated and, and isn't, you know, a sander or a saw or something like that. Why did you decide to go that way? And I know coming from um, talking talking about your parents who, who run a medium-sized business. So you know that there are there, you know what it's like to have employees. Why did you go the way of woodworking technology, quote unquote, instead of hiring extra people in your shop? And how has that worked out for you? I'll be very transparent about why I went and what the decision was for this. So I, the honest answer, as to why I went this direction with automated tools is I was at WorkbenchCon 2020. I'd never been to a WorkbenchCon. Um, and Katz Moses was doing a talk about shop automation. And it actually really stuck with me. And after WorkbenchCon, 
the lockdown, you know, the country got locked down. And that was around the time where I was like, you know, I really, I really was wanting to figure out how to get my business into a real, like to turn it into a real business. But I really wanted to focus my energy on it. And I knew that was going to be a tough, like at least year and a half and ended up being about a year and a half of tough times. My, I sat down and I was like, okay, that really hit me that automation can bring you a lot of business. And I figured out how to make that work. And my wife and I sat down and, you know, I knew I didn't, I wasn't having a whole bunch of income from coffee custom builds. So we had to make the investment out of our pocket and we had that talk together and we both decided that, yeah, this, let's do this. So I bought a CNC and I started marketing it and it very, very quickly started getting work and to the point where it paid off the machine in about three months and um, they kept bringing in more and more work. And then I found that with that machine, I could utilize it for my the custom stuff, which is I, what I really like doing. I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I don't love doing production runs, but some of these custom production runs, to be very honest, they make very, very good money. And um, I'm not doing it, right? My robot's doing it. So it's making money on the side over there and it's knocking it out. And, it, and what it's become for me now is I've gotten a laser since then. And I'm actually, I've already, I'm ordered a, an, another CNC, another full-size CNC and an even larger laser. And the, the reason I'm doing that now is um, I have a shop helper and it's actually my cousin. He comes in 16 hours a week for me uh, on the weekends because he has a full-time job but he actually really likes coming in and working in. and he's expressed that he'd really like to come work for me full-time. And I really want to bring him on full-time because it's some of these jobs, they're just too big. Uh, I need someone bad, but I can't, I'm working in an uh, 850 square foot garage right now. <laughs> it's, it's really tough. I'm, I'm shuffling large projects around into a couple of sheds I have in the backyard or the side yard uh, to work on them through different processes. So right now I've got six tables I'm working on and I'm just shuffling them around. It, it's a total waste of productivity. And that's that's one of the main reasons why we were, we were actually sold our house and we bought a new place and I'm getting a, a real shop here uh, in a few weeks, which is very exciting. But um, I, I'm really pushing the automation stuff. And I have also another net in Etsy. Etsy does pretty well for me as well. These like home decor items. And I've every single listing I have on, on Etsy is something that the CNC or laser does either most entirely or entirely. So I'm trying to build up that side, very honestly, to bring my cousin on full time so he can run all of that because I'd like to provide for him a good job. And I've been training him how to operate the CNC and, and operate all those machines. Um, I, I don't particularly love operating the CNC, but it's such a valuable tool for my business that I've gotten, I've gotten what I think to be very good at it. Um, and I've been able to train him and he's, he's proficient in it too. So my goal is to actually, I got those now to bring him on full time so he can operate those and keep those things humming. So I have some other plans coming for 2022. There's other things I want to do as well that aren't, that aren't, that aren't custom furniture exclusive. I really want the custom furniture stuff to be what I handle hands-on day in and day out, but I want to bring on a few more employees to handle these other plans I have. I'm, I'm going to be getting a, I've got the, the property we're buying has five acres. I'm going to be getting a bandsaw mill 
Um, there's a furniture maker locally here. We are buddies. He's a very talented furniture maker. He currently operates a sawmill um, at a local urban reclamation yard. And I want to get this bandsaw for coffee custom builds. And I'd like him to start operating my bandsaw and uh, helping me with custom furniture because he's a very talented custom furniture maker. He's been doing it a lot longer than me. So I'm, I'm trying to grow my business in a lot of ways um, while still being careful about not diluting what I'm doing and keeping my focus on the thing I really like, which is the custom furniture side of it. So really all the other things where I'm casting the net wide, I'm trying to build those up so that I can bring a few people on into the business uh, because I'd really like to work with those people and have them as part of the coffee custom builds. I don't know what family, I don't know what you call it, uh, organization. So yeah. under, uh, that's, under, that's under the I'm umbrella. Under the umbrella, right? Yeah, I mean, I, really, I, I mean, I do so many live edge tables. It's starting to just make sense for me to have to make my own inventory, right? And there's other plans with that as well. But yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to expand those things. I want to grow this to a, um, I have a vision in my head for what I want this to become. And it's just, I'm trying to make it happen. I'm really chasing that dream really hard, like really hard right now. There is a uh a lot to unpack in everything you just said. So I'm going to, I'm going to go, I know. I, which is, which is great. You know, hearing, hearing it straight from your brain to our ears is, is amazing. And hearing how, how you're planning out the next years is, is great. And I, and I'm going to jump into that. One thing I just want to make a quick note of is, is how you invested in the technology, the CNC machine and everything like that. And everyone always thinks, they're taking woodworking jobs away from people, but the way you're doing it, you invested in that to grow your business, to then bring people back on to be able to operate those machines. So yes, it might be taking away a standard woodworking job that we thought of 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but in reality, it's bringing new woodworking jobs in and people with the passion for the technology. And I also wanted to, to really hit on, and it's the reason that I brought you onto the show, because if people are listening from the beginning of this, they're hearing he's only been in business such a short amount of time, and he's only got a 800 square foot shop you know what what does he know about the furniture business but you yeah. have such a grasp on the business side of it and that's a very different mindset than a lot of people go in a lot of people as we said in the beginning they go in because they like the artistic side of it and they learn the business side as it's happening you basically came in with the business side and have a five-year plan, 10-year plan, employee plan, machine plan, and you're building towards that. And that's why, even though you are a new business, that's why I want to have you on to to talk about this because it's it's a different it's a different look into starting a furniture business. You're really big on organization, workflow. I know you're a numbers guy, I know you're a spreadsheet guy and 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 that's the type of organization game that you like can you talk a little bit about how you are taking those ideas that you had at the beginning of your business and actually implementing them as your business continues 
to ramp up speed and grow? My thing is just invest in the business, whether that's tools or people or software. I mean, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I mean, you, you are the person that got me onto a uh, jobber and jobber has been just a, been- I probably have to asterisk this, that, that jobber is one of our, our sponsors. And it's very nice that you, you picked up on that um, from the podcast and, and it's helping you out, but that, that yep. was not a, that was not an organic or paid or no. any anything like that so just being very clear about that and you know it doesn't need to be jobber but some sort of software that acts as essentially as i would say like an administrative assistant uh that saves me i've got to say at least eight to nine hours a week of just before i would i'd get a call from someone or an email or a text or whatever i'd write it down i'd take as much information as i can and it's me interpreting what they want um, with a program like that, they actually tell me what they want. I don't have to interpret everything. And I'm able to just take that information down the whole process instead of rewriting it onto a different notepad. It was, it was such a caveman system I was on before. Um, and it would just eat up so much of my time. I did not get into woodworking and running this business so that I could be writing down and doing administrative stuff all day long. That's not what I enjoy. I'm trying to posture my business and the setup of my business in a way so that I can focus on the thing that I want to do. And that's what I really like doing is building large pieces of furniture. That's, I mean, it's kind of selfish, but I mean, it's my business. That's what I want to do. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah, it makes that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And you're a tool guy, you know, your tools, you take care of your tools and have some good ones. Mm -hmm. How important do you think investing money back into your shop for a a tool budget is? And how do you go about figuring out which tool is next? Is it based on the next job on, on future plans or, or do you just like the way it looks? What goes into making that next tool purchase for you? I mean, for the tools, I mean, there definitely is like a part of it where it's like, yeah, I like, (laughs) I like nice tools. I mean, and I don't feel bad about that. You know Um, I'm not going to be apologetic about wanting nice tools. I'm just not. You know, uh, it's something I like, but it's also, you just have to be realistic with yourself and be like, yeah, you don't necessarily, I mean, you don't, not necessarily, you don't really need the nicest tool at all to do the job. You just need the tool that does the job. You know, um, I do like nice tools, um, but that's not important. That's just something that's, that's important to me. So I never tell people that they need to buy this thing or that thing. Um, it, it's just not what you need to do. You when I'm just, so right now, like I was saying, I, I've quit my shop in a way over the last year to year and a half in a way that I haven't really needed to update any tools recently. I recently purchased this very large sander um, and I had seen it around. And then I saw another shop that had had two of them and they, they're a production shop. They've got about nine employees. They have two of them in their shop. I was like, man, I wonder if that would, that would actually in, increase production for me. I feel like it would. I made the investment on it and yeah, it 100% has. When I have these big tables, the finishing process is now, I mean, I mean, well, the sanding, the finishing sanding process is now cut in half. I mean, usually more than in half. So in two tables, that tool has paid for itself. Plus it's making me money. So now I'm more mindful of that. My mindset has changed, right? Like in the beginning, I was like, I just want the nicest tool I can get because it's the nicest tool I can get. 
now um my mindset has gone from it being um look at this thing i have you know for myself look at this thing i have to now i'm like okay i need the best tool that's gonna have the best warranty that's gonna last me the longest time and yeah it's it might be double the price of the other one right below it but um there's a no questions asked warranty on this and coming from construction, <laughs> we we uh, we used a, a tool fleet uh, leasing system, and man, got framers, metal stud framers, and drywall rockers. They uh, they had the nicest tools they could use for their job in their hands every single day, and that gave the the workers a sense of pride, but also that nicest tool. If they dropped it from the 14th floor of a high rise or a mid rise or something and it hit the ground below and exploded, we could literally take that pile of broken tool to the distributor and they'd give us a brand new one, no cost, because it's part of our, it's part of the, the premium you pay for that nicer tool. So um, there's definitely tools you don't need to spend hardly any money on. You can get the cheapest one and it's just fine. Uh, but there's definitely tools where you want to spend the money on them uh, in case something goes wrong and it's going to get taken care of. Because for me, I just like the peace of mind of knowing that if it breaks down, it's going to get taken care of fast and not out of my pocket, if that makes sense. <laughs> Let's talk about pricing because that is something yeah. that is very much on the business scale side of woodworking. And it's something that a lot of people have problems with. You are yeah. a newer company, but mm -hmm. you obviously have thought a lot about where you need to be now to get you to where you need to be 10, 15, 20 steps down the road. So talk to me about your pricing models. And I know it's different. I know custom furniture is different than production, but you have that in your mind, what you need. And that's, that's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around. So talk a little bit about your pricing structure in your business? Well, for example, I mean, it's very true. A lot of people have a lot of trouble with it and I haven't, I haven't figured it out hundred percent. I'm, I'm happier with where I'm at with it. Um, I mean, for example, I did a story, someone asked me this question, how do I price my material the other day? And I did one of those uh, IG stories where you like ask me questions. Someone asked me that question and I answered it with, I actually have a spreadsheet I use. Like you said, I'm a numbers guy. Um, I can't remember anything. I commit nothing to memory. I write everything down. Um, I have a spreadsheet I use, and I don't think I've had that many responses to anything on a story I've ever done where people are like, hey, could I get that spreadsheet? <laughs> so I actually put that spreadsheet together and um, I'm going to put it out there for people on uh, who are following along. So I, I had probably 95 or 100 people ask for that spreadsheet that day. Um, and I was like, I mean, it doesn't hurt. I don't mind. It's not going to have my rates in it, but I'll, I'll show them how I organize it. Um, I worked at my family's business. It was a construction company. We had estimators. Uh, I would work with those estimators and I know exactly how they would do their job. Every single aspect of the job was, had an estimated number on it. And that's how I do my bids for my jobs. Um, I have the top side of my spreadsheet, which breaks down all my labor. And I have every operation in there I could possibly do on any project, right? I've got like, I've got breakdown. I've got, I mean, unloading the truck, all any kind of amount of time of anything. I break down all my hours. Um, and then I have all my material costs uh, that I anticipate for a project 
um, in there. And then that has my markup on it. And then I have all my other stuff broken down um, where I have, I have CNC rates, I have laser rates, I have design rates, I have delivery rates, which isn't my shop rate. Um, everything has its own rates. So I spend like 30 minutes on a bigger job, plugging in all these numbers, putting it together. And I come up with my estimate. I take a look at that. I don't just run with that number. You can't always just run with that number. I kind of look at it. I evaluate who the customer is, um, what kind of risk is involved and liabilities involved. Uh, with a residential customer, uh, they're typically a little, the price isn't as high as they are with a commercial customer because, you know, um, you know, I send out the contract. My commercial contract and my residential contract aren't the same. <laughs> There's just a lot more liability involved when I'm dealing with um, a general contractor and this, ta I've got a table going into an eighth story uh, sky lounge uh, in, on the 30th of this month. And, you know, I come from the construction side. I know the language those general contractors speak. So that gave me a, a bit of a nice foot in the door for that sort of those, those customers. So there's a premium there I charge them. And uh, that's just a fact. And that's kind of how the whole business is on the commercial side. Um, when there's a commercial contract or commercial customer, there's going to be a premium there because there's some more risk involved and there's some more liability on my part. And if I'm taking on that liability, they're going to pay for it. That's kind of how it is for me. So if I got, you know, some couple and I'm building them a table, the, the, the contract's a lot shorter. It doesn't have nearly as much uh, legalese in there. So it gets a little bit less complicated. And that, that's, another, not, that's not just to make the process easier, but that's also just to not scare off the customer. Um, you know, I, I want the customer experience to be really good. Things like that, where I can like send them a quote and it looks a very, it's a very professional portal. Those kind of things, whatever you end up using, it makes, it gives the customer, it gives them a sense of ease that you have a more established business and that they can trust you. So I, when I send them a, a you know how much these tables can get, I mean, the pricing on some of these pieces of furniture. I mean, I, you saw, you showed that, uh, that built in the other day. That was gorgeous. Thank, that, thank uh, you. That white Oak console. Yeah. That thing was just gorgeous. I mean that, I don't want to mention numbers, but that's, that was a very expensive piece of furniture. Um, and you know how much these things get, you know, uh, I think that if you send someone a text with a dollar amount, it's not going to be as well received as it will be on a nice, well put together, uh, proposal with your letterhead on it. So, um, make it look professional and it's going to be better for you and for your customers. So those are, those are different things that I like to, uh, make sure that they're taken care of when I am trying to put pricing out there to customers. So, and then also the other side of it is the trial and error side, right? Um, you sometimes you're like, yeah, I think this is a good price. And then you send the price out and then you get like halfway through the job and you're like, oh God, what have I done? This is not the right price. This is way too, this is way too cheap. Uh, and you know, obviously you can't, um, you can't try to charge your customer for your shortcomings. You can't, um, if there's something you don't know how to do and you're doing a new process, a new project for the first time, Chris actually mentioned, sometimes he'll price things differently if there's a project he just really wants to do. And so I do that too. I could, I could really, um, I really could, uh, you know, I, I see his perspective on that because sometimes I'll be, oh, there's a project where I'm just like, yeah, I just really want to build this. And I, I kind of want it in my portfolio. Uh, so I'll, I'll get a little bit more aggressive with the pricing, but sometimes there's just in the beginning for me, I'd have a project and be like, oh God, this isn't anywhere near where this should be. I really screwed myself. And you just learn from that. 
you know, and I was fortunate to be spending the majority of that time learning while I still had a full-time job. So uh, I didn't, it wasn't a sink or swim, swim time for me. I was really fortunate to be able to, okay, yeah, this was like way more, way less money than I should have charged for this project. Uh, and now next time I'll charge more correctly. And then it took about three more projects before uh, I realized that, yeah, I actually need to be charging this much. And if you, if you give this number to a customer, you need to also quickly learn that when you give a number to a customer and you're really confident and happy with that number and they just aren't having it, you need to kind of see it not as a bummer. You need to see it as a bullet dodged. Because if they're, if they're fighting you in that initial process on things, they're probably gonna fight you for the rest of the process. And it's just going to be one of those things where it's like, oh man, this is, this, this is a nightmare. Um, cause customers don't know how to build stuff. You do. You're the person, you're the expert in this conversation. So it kind of throws the customer's always right thing out the window, um, with this custom work cause they don't know how to do it. They just don't. That's what you know how to do. So you need to be able to trust yourself that you're knowledge is there and that your experience is there to be able to perform the job correctly and to be the expert in that situation and you need to make the you need to you need to put yourself out in a way that the customer feels that you you are the expert and not faking it like you need to be the expert in that situation and the customer needs to feel that way too so once you get into like those sort of scenarios where the customer trusts you and you've uh they are going to accept your decisions and the direction you take things, the job goes really smooth. I'm rambling. Let me restart. No, not, not at all. No, honestly, I'm a talker, dude. I'm sorry. It's perfect. (laughs) You're not just talking to talk. You're talking about things that will help people and people. I could, I love talking about this stuff. I just love talking with people about the business and the woodworking so much, dude. I just love it. If we'll look at the furniture business as a room where if you're in that room, you are a furniture maker. And there are people on the other side looking into that room and saying, I want to be in that room. I want to be, I want to be building furniture. I want to be talking furniture. I want to be in that room. And you, even though you're talking like you've been in that room for ages, you've in reality just taken your first step through the door. So yeah. you you are somebody that people should look to if they want to take that next step. So for people like that, people who are thinking of taking that step and people who have already taken that step, but want to run their business better, what's some advice that you could give to those people for moving forward in their business? Well, thanks for the kind words, man. I appreciate it. But um, I mean, I would say this is, this is kind of cliche, but it really is true look to those who you look up to and see what they're doing uh that's that's really a great way to to learn what you need to do to be successful at the things you want to do find people align yourself with people network with people who are good or succeeding at not just what they're doing but also people who are succeeding at what you want to do and don't you really don't want to look at them as competition um, that is going to be, that's a negative thing that won't help your business. Um, look to people, even close around you who are technically your competition. Don't, don't make it into something like that. Look at the people who are successful around you and don't try to tear them down. Just be like, this person's really successful. What are they doing that I need to do? Um, 
and, and don't be like a leech. Don't be like a, like a, you know, a parasite trying to leech off them. Try to make that relationship into something that's mutually beneficial uh, for, you know, for both sides and learn from that person. It's like a mentor mentee kind of thing. If there's someone in your life who you can learn from, um, keep them around, keep them close and they'll help you be successful. So I think, I think why that's why community is such a big deal. I like the woodworking community so much. I am, I think that the woodworking community is sometimes positive to a fault. Uh, it's just so positive sometimes, you know, or not sometimes it's so positive all the time. You know, it's like, um, it's really great. You can get a lot of positivity from that group. There's some, you know, there's some sections of it. there, like, Hey, if you don't do it my way, you're a fool or stuff, something like that. But just try to avoid that. Uh, you know, you should trust your gut, but it is also good to trust the people you trust to give you good advice. So, um, those are some of the things I would say if, if, if just look to people who are doing the things successfully that you want to do, they they're doing something right. And it, like you said at the beginning of the show, don't do everything they're doing because every company, every business, every business leader, uh, every business owner, uh, every business situation is very different. So there isn't a one right way. You need to pick the things out of there and you're gonna you're gonna have to take some of the things that they do and go, hey, that doesn't really work for my business model or my, my business or what I'm doing here. But you need to be able to discern that because ultimately at the end of the day, it's yours and you need to figure that out. It's your job and you take that responsibility. You have to be diligent and almost scholarly and research stuff and be constantly trying to implement new things and not just change for change, but like change for that, you know, is going to be a benefit to your business and your model and your structure. Um, cause you've got a business that's kind of flatlining. Um, sometimes the market's just hard, but sometimes it's just something you're doing. Isn't right. You know, you have to shake it up. Sometimes you just have to. So, so a lot of times people get complacent and um, sometimes you got to get outside of your comfort zone and do some new things to be able to bring in new business. That's kind of where it is. That's my thoughts. Well, Mike, your thoughts are very, very appreciated. There is Thanks, a passion in you that even if people have never seen a piece of furniture that you made, they can feel the wood grain coming through your voice <laughs> and they can also feel the excel sheets and the the back end right. and the and, and, the, and, and the love for that <laughs> well it's not because this is a business it is a business it and is. the is. way you make money is running the business and having people on this show like you who reiterate that and show that there is love to be had in that side of the furniture business, not just the furniture word, the business word too, shows people out there that you can have a passion for the entire thing, for the full furniture business. And I hope that people listening to this understand that and embrace that, that to be successful you need both sides of that coin. Well, Mike, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for, for talking with me today. Thank you for sharing your, your knowledge, your passion, your love, all words that have been said a lot in this, in this episode, <laughs> but all words that are true. So thank you for your time. And I want to wish you best of luck in your future, but you have it all pretty much mapped out. So you know exactly where it's going. So I just want to say, 
follow, follow that path because it is going to lead you to some great places. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on. It was really, really great talking to you. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.